Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right. Good morning, everybody. I am wearing maroon today, not in honor of any college football team that tends to disappoint me over and over again, but I am wearing it in honor of the Millsap Bulldogs and star kicker, Peyton Johnson. I don't know what is in the water around here, but we make kickers at Greenwood Baptist Church. I'm telling you. So anyway, we're proud of her and uh, proud of the Bulldogs, and I know a lot of y'all um, go there and uh, just wanted to recognize them today, and particularly her. So today we are finishing our series called Stone Faced, and the title of today's sermon is Finish. <laughs> Isn't that appropriate? See how that works? I'm clever that way. All right. If you want to, go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to read from a couple of verses there to begin in a moment. You know, this sermon today is for if you've ever felt like giving up, you ever started something and thought you couldn't finish, or maybe in the past you've started something and you didn't finish, but no matter what you do in life, if something is worthwhile, if something matters, if it's important, if it's right, if it has um, gr the, a, a great opportunity to cause um, something good in your life and in someone else's, there are going to be moments of discouragement in that. There are going to be moments when you think that it would be easier or better to just quit than to go on. That's how the enemy works. And there is always an opposition to the things that matter. Isn't it interesting? You can go and, and, and find no opposition to do things that you know are destructive and that you shouldn't do or that you know will cause harm or pain to other people. But if you want to do something that matters, you want to live a life that matters, there are going to be moments nearly of despair. You know, one of the things I've, I've read and studied a lot of the, the revolution that happened in this country, and in, when you read through it, it's really a miracle to me that, that we ever got to that place of independence. You know, that war took years to win. They had a Declaration of Independence, and that was just the beginning of the beginning. And over and over again, it seemed like we would get beaten um, by either the lack of material. You know, we, our, our soldiers were running around in bare feet and in second-class arms. And a lot of them were volunteers that came up and, and thought, man, what a great opportunity to be, you know, a part of this. And they, they wanted to, and they marched out with such great enthusiasm and high hopes. And over and over again, just like at the, the Battle of Brandywine, there were um, 2,300 militia men from uh, Maryland that were thrown into the battle in a crucial moment. And at the first volley from the opposition, a thousand of them dropped their guns and ran into the woods never to be seen again. And that was a common thing. And part of that is because, you know, everybody wants to, it all sounds good on the outside, but when you're in the middle of it and you're actually doing it, it it's, it's hard and it can be um, costly and it can be difficult and it can be um, painful. And in those moments, it's interesting that, yeah, there were those that dropped their guns and ran, but there were others that stood their ground. And it was those men that, that won our freedom as a country. It was the ones that refused to give up. It was the ones that made a decision beforehand that they were in it. You know, and they, they wrote amongst themselves a lot of our founding fathers that they knew when they 
sign their names to the Declaration of Independence that they were either going to be a free country or they were going to be dead. And they started with that kind of mentality, was to finish the fight, and they did. And so I want to read to you from uh, a, a man who at this point in his life is in a dungeon in prison and is only days away from his execution. His name was Paul. And he's writing to another man who is at the very beginning point. He's a young man. He's at the beginning point of his ministry and of his life and of fulfilling his calling. And I want to read what he said to Timothy. And that's uh, found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. And if you'd please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, there are a couple things that he tells Timothy, you know, keep a clear mind in every situation. And when we're in the middle of difficult times, when we're in the middle of, of struggles in something that is good, you know, whether it's, um, you know, in your marriage, whether it's in a, a, a job or, or something that God's called you to, you know, being a friend to someone, trying to minister to others, whatever those things are, there are going to be moments of great difficulty. And he tells him, keep a clear mind. And part of that means to remember why you're there, remember what you're doing, remember the end result. And one of the things that really strikes me about Paul is that Paul is at the end of his journey, but even there in this dungeon, and that dungeon that he was in waiting to be put to death, most people weren't actually put to death from it. They just died right then, right there, because the conditions were so dire and so horrible. And yet here's Paul in his last moments. And he doesn't send Timothy a letter going, man, look what I'm facing. I'm about to die. You need to just get out of it. You need to go off somewhere. But even in that moment, he recognizes that finishing has value. And not only that, but some of the last words that he ever wrote have been disseminated, became part of the canon of Scripture, and have been talked about, studied, and used as an inspiration for millions upon millions of people over hundreds of years. And see, in that moment, there's no way that he could have known that the words he was going to write right then were going to have the kind of impact that they had. And that's the thing. When we're in the middle of the struggle, we have no idea what God can use with something so small and so simple. And Paul never had any idea, I'm sure, as he's struggling to write those words, that it was going to have the kind of impact that it had. But that's what happens when we put things in the hands of God. You know, when we choose to look beyond, he could have just said, man, what, it's just a letter. I'm about to die. Why don't I just sit here and experience that? And, 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 but he didn't. He gave even the last that he had to other people. You know, there were two instances where Jesus fed large groups of people, 10, 15,000 people. And he'd ask the, um, you know, his disciples, hey, is there anything, do we have anything to give them? He said, all we have is this kid brought up his lunch. 
and there were a couple of fishes in there and a couple of loaves. And anybody would have looked at that and thought, man, this, this ain't going to do anything for all these people. I'm going to just eat my own lunch and just mind my own business. What I have couldn't help. But he gave what he had. And you know what? It wasn't enough to feed all those people. But when it got in God's hands, it got multiplied. And see, that's the thing. It's when we offer what we have, God multiplies it and does something with it that is beyond what we could have done on our own. If that kid had taken out and decided, well, I'm going to feed all these people myself and started handing out fish, he'd have fed like three or four people and the rest of them would have been like, dude, where's I? There would have been thousands with nothing. But when he puts that in the hand of God, it gets multiplied, and it's enough. Here's something I want you to hear first. What you have, no matter what situation is in, you have enough. You have enough to finish. You have enough to keep going. You have enough to matter. You have enough to make a difference. You just have to put it in God's hands. All of us have unfinished business. And here's the thing. Even though Paul was right there on the doorstep of death, if you ain't dead, you ain't done. God's not done with you. He's not done with what you have left. He's not done with using you for his kingdom. You know, there's a letter that Jesus spoke to the churches in Revelation chapter 3. He says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. You know what he tells them? Hey, you've, you've failed, but there's still time left. Some of the things you were supposed to do aren't going to get done, but there's still stuff to do. He says, listen, strengthen what little remains. There's still some time. You still have an opportunity to, to take a next step, to work at it, to finish what God's put in front of you. We have unfinished business. Now, some of us, we might be, it might be a little. And you know what? There may be some things we can't go back and fully fix. You know, sometimes we look at it and we're like, well, I can't go back and start over. No, but you could do what you can right now. You know, I've, I've known parents I've known people that got saved and their kids were, were older, maybe even out of the house. And they're like, well, man, I can't go back and, and change the way that I raised them. No, but you can be a godly father or a godly mother to your parent, to your kids. I don't care how old they are. You can do what you can do now. And you can't, you're not called to go back and fix yesterday, but you can be faithful today. And you can offer what you have today. And you can do the best you can with the time you have left and what's left for you to do. That's our call. And you know, here's the thing about being a believer. None of us know how much time we have left. Jesus might come back tomorrow. We might die. We know that our time's limited. We know there's a, just a, a, a brief moment, really, where we have to serve God and do His will. So we need to make the most of it. 2 Corinthians 8-10, through 10, here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. He's talking about, hey, you started this a year ago, and then you stopped. 
But here's what he says. Last year you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. He doesn't say, hey, you need to go back and make up for everything you missed. He says, finish what you started. Go back. Do what you can now. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. He doesn't say make up for everything. He just says do the best you can now. And that's one of the things about following God is that God never goes, oh, blew it. Done with you. God doesn't do that. Now, he doesn't give us the opportunity to go back and undo what's done or to do what's undone in the past, but he does always give us an opportunity to move forward and be obedient right now and to do what we can now. And sometimes we look back and think, man, what can I do now that would really make a difference? Well, you got, you got some loaves and you got a fish. Do the best that you can now and see what God can multiply. Because you never know what God can do with whatever little time you have or whatever little ability you have or whatever little opportunity you have. It doesn't take much. God can work miracles. That's what he does. You know, it's easy to get started. Enthusiasm is common. It's hard to finish. It's easy to be enthusiastic about something in the beginning. But you know what's rare? Endurance. Endurance is rare. It's easy to jump out. You know what? Everybody, everybody supports you. Oh, that's so awesome. You know, even when you get married, everybody comes and they have a party. Everybody shows up to watch you get married. And then they stay afterwards. Oh, that's so awesome. We're so... But you know what? They're not all going to be there when it gets tough. And if you just got married last night, I'm sorry to have to break this to you. <laughs> Marriage is tough. You know, I remember I went to, a, I, it was a young lady in our church who was getting married up in Arkansas, and, and we went and they had this huge wedding, and it was gorgeous, and all this food and everything, and they got up to give little speeches. Oh, no, don't do that at your wedding. Just, you know, take the food. And the, matter of fact, I'd encourage you to elope. <laughs> Never mind. Forget I said that, unless you're seriously, anyway. When you get married here, look, she got up and she said, you know, and she went on and on about their, their, their wedding and their marriage. She said, I just know we're going to make it because we love each other. And I was like, <laughs> you think that's, hey, let me tell you something. Those little lovey-dovey love feelings ain't always there. You understand what I'm saying? There are moments where you look at somebody and go, what in the world did I do? It's just the truth, all right? And you know what gets you through those moments? It's not, oh, it's just, I remember the little doves flying at the end of our way. That's, how, that's what got us through. Nothing, I don't get nobody through nothing. Well, our cake, it was just so beautiful. It got us through all the hard. That cake ain't going to do nothing. You know what's going to get you through? Is you being able to say, you know what? I made a vow before God, and I'm going to finish. And I ain't going to quit. I'm not going to be a quitter. I'm not stopping. And sometimes it's going to get messy, and it's going to get a little ugly, and it's going to be hard, and some days it's going to be great. But what you do in those days when it's hard or what's going to make it. And what you do in those moments where you don't have all those feelings are what's going to determine if you're able to finish or not. Be a finisher. 
And you know what? You've got to decide that ahead of time. And there's a couple ways that you do that. Enthusiasm is common. Endurance is rare. Learn to be somebody that, that has endurance. You know, it, it doesn't even, it's not even a word that sounds good, is it? Endurance means to endure. That sounds painful, doesn't it? I mean, nobody's going, oh, man, I'm just looking forward to enduring. Nobody does that. that, that oh, man, I want to win. I want to be a, I want to, I want to fight. I want to win. But to, to do those things, you have to endure. And you got to go through tough days, hard times, difficult situations if you want to win. And if you're going through them constantly thinking, making a decision, is it worth it? Is it not? Is it worth it? Is it not? You're going to quit. Because if you want to be a finisher, you got to be stone-faced in the beginning and the middle and all the times in between to the end. And that means that you determine ahead of time, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep going. Anything you do that's worthwhile, that matters, that has the potential to impact other people for God, is going to be hard at times. Anything you do. Do you, do you know how? It's easy to bail. It's easy to go do things that you know you shouldn't do. There's no resistance to that. As a matter of fact, there's all kinds of encouragement. I mean, we live in a world now where if somebody decides they want to say they're the opposite sex, there's all kinds of people telling them, oh, that's awesome and supportive and everything else. And that path leads to destruction. There's plenty of people. You want to know one of the signs? If, if, you're, if you're married and one of you starts hanging out exclusively with people that are divorced, and they're, all, they're trying to get everybody in the same boat they're in, be careful. Because you'll get lots of encouragement to leave. I'm not saying you shouldn't be friends with people and love them and care for them, but I'm telling you right now, you better go get your advice from people that finished, that are finishers, that are sticking it out. And maybe they made a mistake too in the past, but man, they're, they're sticking with it. Hey, people make mistakes. I'm not talking about your past. I'm talking about your present and your future. You've got to decide in your present what your future is going to be. You've got to decide in your present whether you're going to finish or whether you're going to quit. And be around people and get advice from people that have proven themselves, that have proven that they can endure. <clears throat> Here's some of the keys. One of the, the main key to being a finisher is this. It's found in Acts 20, 24. You want to know how Paul got to that point? Because that amazes me. It really does that Paul was able to go through everything that he did. That dude went through some stuff. Shipwrecks, got bit by a serpent, got beaten, arrested, accosted by the mobs, stoned, beaten with rods, all kinds of things. They stoned him until they thought he was dead escaped over the wall in a, in a basket, all kind, I mean, stuff you would, unbelievable. And then ended up giving his life for Christ. And you know what he says then? Man, I finished the race. I fought the good fight. I didn't quit. I didn't give up. How did he do that? The key's in Acts 20, 24. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work 
assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news and the wonderful, about the wonderful grace of God. You know what? He, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned. You see, when you get to a point where you quit, it's because you've decided that something's more important than what God's assigned you to do. I've talked to people that have turned their back on their faith, on their family, on their wives, on their kids, and they always come up, well, you know what, this is for me. And that's what the world tells us, isn't it? You've got self-care. You've got to take care of yourself. You want self-care? Read the Bible. That's the best self-care you can do. You want real self-care? Follow Jesus. Through thick and thin. But you'll hear all kinds of, oh, well, you know, you're, you're, you're the most important thing. You need to take care of you. You can't love anybody else till you love yourself. Blah, 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 honking blah. I'm pretty sure that was in the Greek somewhere. That's just a hot load of garbage is what that is. You want to know, you want to know how you do something that matters? You want to know how you, you experience joy beyond what this world really has to offer? It's to live for something beyond what this world has to offer. It's to live for someone greater than yourself. It's to sacrifice and say, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work that God's assigned to me. Unless I follow him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's worth nothing. The world's going to tell you the exact opposite. I just, you know, I've met with kids through the years that are now adults that their parents said, you know, I just got to go take care of me. What do you think that does to those kids? They deserve better. We need to learn what really is important and what matters. And anytime we quit, it's because we've decided that we're important. There's something more important than Jesus. There's something more important than following him. Now, I don't want to be misunderstood here. I'm not saying you submit yourself to some kind of an abusive, to an abusive relationship. That's not God's will. I'm not saying you look for ways to experience pain or difficulties. I'm talking about following God's will, doing the right thing, and being obedient to him, and not putting ourselves first. There's different things that we can see, and that's one of the keys, is you got to understand your life is worth nothing unless we use it for his purposes. And you know what? Some of you, 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 you're still looking for God's purpose. That's okay. Keep doing what's in front of you right now and ask God to show you what that is. And there's a good chance that it's something that you're already familiar with, that's in your life already, and you just haven't figured out yet that this is what he put you here for. And understand something. God gives some great opportunities even in failures, and we're going to talk about that. I want to take you through. You know, I was doing some study background work on the book of James, and... There's some things about his life that really just 
jumped out at me. James was a finisher. <clears throat> I'm talking about the James that wrote <clears throat> the book of James. He was Jesus' half-brother. You know, they didn't have the same father because Jesus' father was God, but they had the same mother. And he starts out in James 1.1. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to get back to that in a minute. But here's the thing about James. James became a pillar in the church, became a leader in the church of Jerusalem. We're going to talk about how he ended in a minute. But you know what? It's not how you start that matters. There's lots of people that start well. There's people that don't start well. But it's being a finisher that makes a difference. You know, at the beginning, the first battle, significant battle they fought in the, the revolution was the Battle of Manhattan or Long Island. It has different names. And George Washington made some critical mistakes that almost got the whole Revolutionary Army destroyed. It wasn't a great battle on his part. And that the only way they escaped was there are those that think this was divine providence. I tend to believe that, but I don't know. The only way they escaped was they were able to get, gather enough boats and to escape across the Sound to get to the other side, get off the island of Manhattan. And the only reason they were able to do that was because this fog fell down on both the armies where they couldn't see anything until they were able to get all the soldiers across where they would have been trapped, wiped out, the revolution would have been over. And we'd have all been, you know, singing God Save the Queen instead of God Bless America. True story, okay? But he learned from that, and he didn't quit. And he, he learned about how to, to manage the, the armies that he had. He kept going. He, but he didn't, it wasn't a great start. I mean, we gave up New York. It was, one of our, it was our biggest port, one of our most significant cities. Looking back, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Y'all know I'm just kidding, right? But it wasn't a great start. But he finished. He kept going. And see, James didn't start out real well. He's one of the brothers of Jesus, says in Mark 6, 3. They scoffed. That's what the people were doing where they were raised because Jesus came back around his hometown. Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. So, James is, he's getting ridiculed along with Jesus because they're like, what's up with your brother? Thinking he's like God or something. His sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe him. And see, here's one of the amazing things about Jesus. The first 30 years, he didn't do Jesus stuff. The only time we saw was a glimpse when he was 12. And so even his family didn't really understand what was going on. They, they, didn't, they couldn't look back, oh yeah, I remember when you know, Jesus raised that cat. I mean, it, there wasn't anything like that. Jesus lived life just as we have. He didn't live a privileged life. He didn't live with people going, oh yeah, here's Jesus, everybody be quiet, be careful, be on your best behavior. They didn't do that. They didn't realize that God was among them. That's one of the amazing things about his life, that until he was 30 years old, he didn't do any of that. He refrained. And he experienced life the way we experience it. Working in a job. Interacting with people. Just living life. And so now it's time, and he's revealing himself as the Son of God. And his family didn't get it. In Mark chapter 3, one time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. 
Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. So James and his brothers, and there's other places where it talks about it, thought Jesus had lost his mind. And they're trying to, dude, they were trying to get him off to the side, take him away. Jesus, we're going to take you somewhere where they're going to help you. Because you've obviously lost it. So that's what James was. James didn't believe. And then at some point, James had an experience. It tells in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, when it's talking about Jesus as he was resurrected, it says, then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. And so whether it's that moment or somewhere in there, I mean, there's one thing to go, Jesus, you've lost your mind, and then you, you, know, you know he's crucified, and then seeing him after he's dead... That would cause anybody to go, okay, I might have been wrong. And James, he doesn't just believe now. He, he's all in. You know, he doesn't run around on the, hey, I, I grew up with Jesus tour. You know, admission here, and I'll answer all your questions, tell you some funny stories. Nothing like that. He went all in. As a matter of fact, remember that verse that said, this is James. I am a slave of, my, of the master, God and my Lord Jesus Christ. He, he, he was all in, 100%. And see, not only that, but God used his unique situation. There's a guy named Paul, and he was persecuting Christians. He, he was Saul, and he became Paul. And he spent his adult life after, in the times of Jesus and afterwards trying to crush the church. He was there directing them when they killed Stephen, the first martyr. They threw their coats at his feet. And he went around arresting people and persecuting Christians as best he could. And then guess what? He comes face to face with God on the road with Jesus. And Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? He said, it's Jesus. And then Saul did the same thing, man. He turned, he turned around completely. He went from being all against to all for, just like James did. Well, as you can imagine, he went off and studied for a couple of years in, in quiet, and then he came back out and, and Saul began a ministry of preaching and teaching. But all the Christians are like, whoa, this is that dude that was persecuting people. Why are we going to trust him? And they didn't trust him. And I get it. And so he goes to Jerusalem and he meets with the church leaders. In Galatians 2.9, in fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me. You know James recognized it. Because James went, I was this guy. I didn't persecute the church, but I was trying to put Jesus away in a mental institution. So there's that. So you see, God took what was his failure and what was his past and used it. And James recognized the gift that God had given Paul. And see, that's the thing. I'm not trying to make you... We've all got failures in our past. God can use those for his glory. And out of all the ones that were there, Peter had failures too. But James could have probably related... Paul the most. And people are like, how could this be that a guy could 
be a persecutor trying to kill the church and then turn around like that. And James could go, well, I'll tell you exactly how that could happen because it happened to me. See, God can use me. And here's the thing about James. He became the main leader of the church in Jerusalem. And I want you to think about that. You know, we say that, and, but you know, Jerusalem is, is where all the leaders were and where Jesus was crucified. And when James was the leader of the Christian church, the church of Jesus, is in the same city where all those guys were still living. Right? You know, just like it says in another place, in the, in the presence of my enemies, James could have moved. He could have gone wherever he wanted to, but he stayed right there. And he had to have known what that, what that would mean. And in the year A.D. 62, church tradition and history tells us that those same men, they hated James. That's what it was said, that they hated him. And they took him up and threw him off the temple. And then they beat him to death with clubs. And history tells us the last thing that he said before he died was, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And you know something? That's a cool and it's an inspiring story. And it says a lot about James. Let me tell you something else it says. That wasn't a surprise to James. Couldn't have been. He'd already seen what they did to Jesus. And he chose to stay right there in the same place. He had to know there was a very, very, very good chance the same thing would happen to him. And those words he chose to say at the end, he knew before it ever happened that's what he was going to say. He had to make that choice before that moment. And he chose to echo the words of his Savior, of his God, of his half-brother, and say the exact same words. You see, that's what a finisher looks like. Now, he lived a long life before they put him to death. God used him in a lot of ways. Another place tells he was married. I'm sure he had a family. But man, this guy was a finisher. He didn't go, you know, I think I'm going to go off to, you know, I've heard they need, some, need a new church in the Bahamas. He stayed right there where it was probably the worst place to start a church, right there in the heart of Israel, in the heart of Jerusalem, in the heart of the place where the ones that had crucified his Savior we're trying to destroy the church. And he chose to stay there. God called him to stay there. Even knowing what it would probably lead to, he did it anyway. I want you to just get a picture here for just a second. The guy who wanted to put Jesus away ends up being the one who dies after leading the church in Jerusalem for years and years. You know, there's the other part of church history, you know what it says? It says that his knees were as tough as a camel because of all the time he spent praying. It didn't happen by accident. But he had that courage and he had that strength. And here's what I want you to know, you have it too. 
You know, we read about these people, and they, they were just men, just like us. He didn't always see it. He didn't always get it. Matter of fact, he was opposed to it. Some of you may have been too for a while. But then God changed your life. You had an encounter with Jesus, and something changed. It's what happened to James. It's what happened to Paul. And afterwards, you see what God can do with a life that is surrendered to him. It says in Philippians 1.6, and I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. You see, God's not done with you yet. He's not done working on you, and he's not done working through you. And a lot of the times we find that it's by being obedient to the things that God wants to do through us that God does things in us, and vice versa. And so here's what you need to know. God has never and will never give up on you. He will never quit on you. He'll never look at you and go, you know, just a little too much. Just not going to be able to deal with this. He always looks at you and, and knows that he has a purpose for you and he has a plan for you, and you have all the power that you need within you because God dwells in you. It's not because there's something innate you're born with inside you. It's because God dwells within you. And it's that power that can help you to finish, to be a finisher. You know, some of you, you're in the middle of something, been thinking about quitting, and all you need is, a, hey, you know what? I'm going to determine I'm gonna, my life's worthless. It's useless unless I finish what God's put in front of me. Some of you need to be reminded that God loved you enough to send his only son to die on the cross for you. And that's enough. Some of you just need to be reminded that you have everything you need within you to be victorious, to endure. And then for some of you, you just need to be reminded, just take the next step. You know, you, you don't become a finisher in one day. You become a finisher day by day. You become a finisher by choosing every day to not quit. By choosing what's really important. By choosing every day, you know what's really, what really matters? I'm going to live by that. Not by what's easier. Not by what has the least amount of resistance. Not by what makes me feel best. I'm going to live by what matters. Be a finisher. You got it in you. You can. Take the next step. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? You know, I, I, anytime I come across something that reminds me, number one, of the sacrifice that Jesus made so that I could be made whole and be made free, be forgiven. It never ceases to amaze me and to affect me. And that's the truth. For anyone here, if, if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you had that time in your life where you trusted Christ as your Savior and your Lord and you, you asked forgiveness of your sins and God changed you in that moment in that encounter, you know what that's like.
And for some of you, maybe you've known about God for a long time, but you don't have a relationship with Him. And we want to give you the opportunity to begin a relationship with Him. It takes it's three simple parts. Number one, you've got to admit that you're a sinner. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's you and that's me. Here's the good news. Jesus paid the price for every sin you've ever committed and every sin you ever will commit. The work is done. You, God, Jesus doesn't say, hey, come follow me and work for it and maybe you'll earn it. He says, come follow me. I've already earned it for you. And all you have to do is admit you're a sinner and ask forgiveness for your sins. Second thing is you've got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. James had to come to that point. Paul had to come to that point. Believe that he's the Son of God. Believe that he died on the cross for your sins. And believe that he rose on the third day according to Scripture. And then the last thing is you've got to confess him as Savior and Lord. And in doing that, when you confess him as your Lord, you're turning away from him. You're repenting of your sins even as you ask forgiveness. You're turning away from those and turning to Jesus. And when you come, you lay everything at his feet. And you know what? He knows you're not going to be perfect from this day forward. But the work's done. For the sins you've committed and the sins you will commit, they've been paid for by the blood of Jesus. But you have to receive that free gift. It's a gift that he gives us. If you'd like to receive that gift and know that your sins are forgiven, that you're right with God, and that you're going to be with him for eternity, I want you to pray this with me today. You can repeat it after me, or you can pray it in your own words. And you can pray it in your heart. You don't have to do it out loud. God will hear you, but pray with me right now. Dear God, thank you for loving me, and thank you for Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and life cleanse me. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose on the third day according to scripture. So today, I trust Jesus as my savior and I confess him as my Lord. Now here's what I'm going to ask. I don't want anybody looking around still. But if you prayed that prayer today, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. You don't have to say anything in front of anybody. Here's all I want you to do right now. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to look up at me right now and keep looking until I see you. Look up at me right now if you prayed that prayer today. Okay? All right? Okay? All right? I see you. Now, I want you to know something. In that moment that you prayed that and you confessed that, in that moment you're saved. You belong to Jesus. Nothing can ever change that. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you're here today as, and you're, uh, you made that decision, I want to encourage you to let someone know. There's a number on the screen. You can just text, I did it, to that number. And here's what we would like to do. We'd like to get in touch with you, talk with you over the phone or in person answer any questions you have, and also talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. 
Now, we're not going to ask you for anything. You don't have to join our church. You're welcome to come and be a part of our church, but you don't have to. We just want to help. And it's important that you tell someone. If you'd rather, John will be here at the end of the service, and you can come talk to him, and he'll either set up a time or we'll have somebody talk to you today, if you like. But it's important that you tell someone. If you're here and you're with your parents and you prayed that, I want you to tell your parents as soon as the service is over, hey, Mom, hey, Dad, I prayed that prayer asking Jesus into my heart. And then Mom or Dad, you can contact us and we'll have uh, one of our children's folks get with you and go through it with them to make sure they fully understand and answer any questions for them and for you. And we would love to do that. And you can do that by texting to that number. Um, or you can call the church office. Just let us know. We'd love to hear from you. So right now, I want to pray for you, that God would help you as you grow in your faith, and pray for all of us that he would help us to be finishers. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day, and I thank you for those that have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would help them to find the right church, that you'd help send people into their lives that will help encourage them in their walk with you. Father, we just thank you for saving them as you saved us. Father, I pray for each of us, Lord, you'd help us to decide beforehand that we're going to finish what is in front of us. Father, we will not be quitters, that we will not stop. Lord, we will each and every day choose to serve and to put you first. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your son. In his name that we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.